Hi, I'm Angela Sarno. And I'm Taylor Nemeth. And this is PaymentWorks Presents Risky Business. Yes. And Angela, before we start, I think we need to find a new producer for the show because boy, did I have some technical difficulties getting in this thing. <laughs> Are you firing me right now? Yeah. Or myself or my computer or something, but that's okay. <laughs> Uh, well, you are becoming quite the veteran in interviewing people, and it sounds like you had another good one the past past couple weeks, a couple weeks ago, I think. Yes. Um, I've got to tell you, it's a lot of fun. Like, I guess I'm actually a curious person, and I like asking people questions. It was a long interview, too, I think, right? Yes. Well, it was, it was jam-packed. So the guest this week, his name is John Wilkerson, and he is the general counsel at the Arkansas Municipal League. And I heard John, I won't say I met him because I was in the audience, but I heard him speak at the Arkansas chapter of the Government Finance Officers Association back in July. Um, This was in Eureka Springs, which by the way, little plug for Eureka Springs, Arkansas, delightful, beautiful, check it out. He spoke to everyone about the American Rescue Plan Act and what they could and could not use the funds for. And boy, was the audience wrapped. Um, And this comes up in our world because there are um, provisions for software expenditures. And we get a lot of questions from our customers about what they can and cannot spend it on. And so I asked him if I could pick his brain and he said, yes. Can you believe it? That's excellent. It is. It is. So I uh, I also want to just give a plug for municipal leagues in general uh, across the country as amazing resources in his role there. And he's been there 15 years. um, This is one of the things they get to do is guide Uh, cities and towns on how to spend. But the advice he gives is not specific to Arkansas cities. This is um, from the Treasury Department. This is federal and can apply to every city, state, government, anybody who's getting ARPA funds, uh, this this advice applies to. Got it. And I did want to, for the fraud of the the week beforehand, I wanted to bring up a, a story, Taylor, that you already know but that I mentioned during this interview. So I thought it was worth talking about. And that is Peterborough, New Hampshire. Oh, yes. Yep. Yep. Our friends up there who lost more than $2 million in back-to-back-to-back payments fraud scams. Oh, I actually didn't know that. It was multiple, uh, same vendor, multiple payments. Is that what you mean? Two different vendors, multiple payments. Same fraudster? Unknown. Unknown. Uh, But in July, two in July and one in August of 2021 for a total of $2.3 million. And in all three instances, the protocol, which involves making a phone call to confirm banking changes, was not followed by an employee. Interesting. So it was a protocol, not Mm -hmm. followed. Mm -hmm. Wow. But you you have to ask, like, if it's not followed three times in a row, is it actually... Is it being followed at all? Right. And who's who's monitoring it? What sort of audits are they happening? Like, There's no way it can, right? Because it, 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 of course, would not just because we see the sheer volume and these things come through and it, you, you're either calling for everybody or calling for nobody. Or somebody took the day off and it was a bad day to take off. I, who knows? Or three days off. Uh, so this is in the Monad Knock Times. They have a series of articles about it. Check it out online. Uh, the most recent one is that the selectmen have agreed to overspend the budget by $1.7 million to pay for the scam. There were a lot of angry townspeople in this meeting uh, wanting to know what happened. They did recover half a million in, in sort of good news. Yeah, there's always some some port. It seems like there's always some portion uh, recovered, and I'm assuming if they're they're doing that 
over budget spending. They didn't get much back from their insurance provider. It's a it's a question um, because they were not hacked and there's no cyber breach on their side. It's it's looking questionable that they're going to be able to get it back. Wow, let's get them on the podcast. <laughs> Let's. But until then, please savor this advice from John Wilkerson uh, about what you can and cannot use your American Rescue Plan Act funds for. This is chock full of info. Enjoy. I would like to welcome to the podcast today, John Wilkerson with the Arkansas Municipal League. I had the pleasure of hearing you speak at the um, Arkansas chapter of the Government Finance Officers Association back in July in gorgeous, wonderful uh, Eureka Springs, putting in a plug. People need to go visit there. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit, John, about the Arkansas Municipal League and your role there? Of course. Uh, So the Arkansas Municipal League is an association of all 500 cities and towns across Arkansas. Uh, we are, like I said, an association in the sense of we have our you know yearly conferences. We do a monthly magazine called The City and Town. Um, all the stuff that you would sort of normally associate with an association, bringing people together for common interest and sharing those ideas. The other side of what we do and the, sort of the, almost the bigger side of what we do is programs. And we have several risk management funds. Um, I've run the Municipal Legal Defense Program. We have one for um, health, health benefits, workers' comp benefits. Uh, and vehicle and property uh, benefits. It's, so, it's sort of insurance, not quite insurance under Arkansas law, but it's sort of insurance, but it's really a risk management. And so what I do as the, I run the municipal legal defense program. And so we help cities defend themselves when they're sued in all manner of lawsuits. Um, but day to day, what we do uh, aside from that is help cities and towns ma- navigate any legal issue that they have. And one of the bigger ones that we've dealt with, of course, recently is the rescue plan, because it is a federal law that came into effect back in March. And um, so we're we're helping cities and towns navigate the details and the nuances of the rescue plan. But I've been with the league for 15 years. I'm I'm its general counsel. I should have said that probably earlier on, but I'm the general counsel. Uh, So we, we do everything we can for the cities and towns of Arkansas. Nice. So I, I did, I didn't tell you that one of the rules of our, uh, podcast is we only invite folks who seem to really love their jobs. Um, And I got this feeling from you when you were presenting that you took a lot of uh, pride and joy in in, in this role that that you have. And obviously, folks need it and want it. Seeing the reactions in the room for the guidance uh, was very uh, striking to me. You And this isn't unique to Arkansas. All states have some sort of organization like this, correct? Almost every state has a municipal league-like association. Uh, we're one of the bigger ones in the sense that we do our own risk management pools. That's sort of that's somewhat unique, although a lot of leagues sort of uh, go into that area. Uh, we are unique in the sense that we sort of everything is in-house. So everything that the Arkansas Municipal League does uh, is anything any other league would do, except we do it all at the same time. So that's that's kind of the big difference between us and a lot of other leagues. Gotcha. That's um, that is super interesting. Maybe we. Uh should do a whole podcast just about that, but I'm going to move us on because I'm very interested in the American Rescue Plan Act. So can you just give us a little what it is and what it isn't? It is a once in a generation, perhaps once in a lifetime, direct federal funding stream to cities and towns and counties and states uh, of America. Uh, for this, for the state of Arkansas, $440 million of direct federal funding is going to cities and towns. $560 million is going to counties of Arkansas, and then another billion and a half dollars is going to, to the state uh, the state itself. 
every state deals with this. Every, every state's getting this sort of money. Every city, every county, every town, every township, every borough, whatever every other state calls their local government is getting this money. What's Again, it's once in a lifetime money. We haven't seen the likes of it, I think, since the Johnson administration. So it's direct federal funding. That's really the kind of the big difference between this federal funding and most other federal funds. So the city of North Little Rock, they'll get seven or eight million dollars in federal funds, but it's programmatic or kind of what I call it, programmatic federal funds. So it's through the uh, HUD or CDBG, um, Community Development block, block Grants or Housing and Urban Development Grants. And so it's it's money that's designated for one particular thing, and the feds sort of administer it all the way through, and it goes through pass-through entities, usually the state, and yada, yada, yada. This is just this federal government handed $440 million out to cities and towns and said, do with it what we say you can do with it, and that's it. It's very unique. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yes. Very unique. So there are there are some buckets or parameters of, of spend that you reviewed. Uh, I think there were four. Can you walk us through what those are? Yes. So the one thing, I, sort of what I should have said too about the rescue plan, it is a stimulus slash infrastructure slash COVID relief slash COVID assistance program. So the four big buckets are, uh, number one is sort of kind of a two-parter, but it's negative economic or negative health impact of COVID. So you can use this money to address the negative economic or negative health impact of COVID. Fairly broad category, but one of the ones that is probably the most difficult to, to quantify and to identify um, and to really understand the nuances of it because it's so big, right? I mean, a lot of cities, a lot of towns, a lot of counties, a lot of private businesses, a lot of people have been negatively affected economically or health-wise with COVID. And so that's the first big bucket is, is using the money to fight COVID, basically, now, what that really means and what the really the parameters of it are, no one's no one's entirely sure. But Treasury's done a pretty good job of trying to identify those parameters as best they can. Uh, the second bucket is premium pay. Uh, premium pay is essentially a bonus for employees who were on the front lines of COVID. And by front lines, I don't just mean uh, first responders. I don't just mean police officers, firefighters, nurses, EMTs. When, when the government's talking about first or those in the front lines, they're talking about those who had daily interactions with people during the pandemic who were or were regularly handling items already handled by somebody else. I think this is for sanitation workers. I always argue that sanitation workers were really those in the front line as well, because the, the line I've come up with that I don't, don't think anybody can will disagree with is that if you're going to fight a pandemic, you need to have good water coming into your house. Uh, dirty water coming out of your house and trash picked up off the streets. And so those people who, who water, sewer, sanitation, they're now eligible for premium pay, which again is a bonus. It's up to $13 an hour or $25,000 total uh, for each employee uh, based on the number of hours they worked during COVID. And so it can the, go backwards. Yeah, it can go backwards. Yes. So it can be retroactive or prospective. Uh, retroactive to the start of the pandemic uh, back in January of, of 2020. The third bucket, uh, which is really probably one of the, it probably is the biggest one in terms of identifiable projects money-wise is water, sewer, and broadband infrastructure. Like I said earlier, it's, this is an infrastructure bill in a lot of ways. And so in Arkansas, water and sewer is one of, if not the primary thing most cities and towns do or their citizenry is run a water department or run a sewer department. 
And now the money can be used to bolster the infrastructure or create new infrastructure or new processing systems for, for electronic payments or for cybersecurity or for whatever it is um, that's infrastructure for water or sewer, you can use this money. And then the broadband is one of the, one of the ways, one of the, one of the other infrastructure projects in the bucket as well. Uh, fi- the final eligible use is, is called lost revenue. And what this is, is a way to reimburse cities and towns and counties and states who have lost revenue due to the pandemic. And this comes in the form, lost revenue comes in the form of not just decreased sales tax revenue, but if you had a little league tournament that you rely on for your small town, but you rely on it, you get $25,000, $30,000 a year from this little league tournament due to concession stands and it got canceled, that's $25,000 or $30,000 worth of lost revenue. Um, and other other sort of sort of ancillary, you know, nickels and dimes that cities rely on that they lost from the pandemic, they can pull them all together and say we've lost we've lost revenue, so we're going to use rescue plan monies to reimburse us for that. So th- those are the four large categories of th- those are the four categories of use under the rescue plan. So the the first three, as you intimated, are pretty easy to understand in terms of what is allowed and and what isn't and what the point is. So the lost revenue is where uh, everyone's ears and eyes sort of perked up (laughs) when you were presenting in Eureka Springs, because it felt like there was a lot of, uh, and I think I wrote down something you said, that there was broad latitude and broad discretion and time to spend. Yes. Can we talk about, can we talk about those, those three pieces? Maybe we start with the last one, the time to spend. Yeah. So the, the time to spend the money is, you can spend this money all the way until December 31st of 2026. Now, the money has to be obligated by December 31st of 2024. So you can obligate a water infrastructure project on December 30th of 2024, you're fine, but you don't actually pay the bills. You don't actually use the rescue plan money until December 31st of 2026. So so that's the first thing I say in every training I do is be patient. And, And I have this quote that I don't have in front of me, but it's, uh, patience is a virtue, but persistence to the point of being a success is a blessing. And so the point I'm making is be patient, but be persistent and keep up with these the changes that Treasury is going to throw at us and be persistent in trying to understand your needs as your city's needs and the ability to use money for, to us to address those needs. And then you're going to be successful because there is plenty of time to spend this money. There's no reason to rush out and spend it. And the other thing I'll add about timing we're going to have a supply chain problem very, very soon, if not already. There's only so many pipes that can be, you know, manufactured to put in the ground. There's only so many engineers that can put together a plan to put those pipes in the ground. There's only so many masks that can be bought. I mean, there's there's going to be supply chain issues because there's a this is a ton of money that's come in and it's going to need to be spent, uh, but it doesn't need to be spent now. So if you get sort of bogged down in the supplier saying it's going to be six months, it's fine. You've got time to spend it. So patience is is definitely a virtue in this in this world. That's I, I, that's an excellent point. Everybody got this money at the same time, and everybody has the same projects. So then maybe the more immediate things are what they can do with the lost revenue funds. And you had laid out, and I'd love it if you could talk us through. Um, all the different pieces that they could spend, the latitude they have to spend in in that particular bucket. Right. So the second thing I say after the patience piece is calculate your lost revenue. 
Because while there is broad discretion with using these funds in those other eligible use categories, water, sewer, negative economic impact of COVID, premium pay, they're still limiting on what you can use the money for. So you can't really go beyond the guardrails or the ditches, as I call them, and start spending money and use those eligible use categories as your way. Lost revenue, however, is really, really broad. I mean, really, really broad. Like if you can spend a nickel on anything that's government service related, normally you can use lost revenue to pay for that same thing. So the, the comment I'm, I make, probably made in Eureka and I'm, I make everywhere I go now, is the lost revenue category, and I'm, I'm part, partly joking, but also partly serious, unless you're buying a trip to Barbados for your family, you're going to be able to use the lost revenue money for really anything. Like it's, it's just any government service. Wow. That's awesome. The once in a lifetime thing is echoing over everything that, that you're saying after that. And I'm realizing the, the, the legacy of this time, but I'm, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Uh, I'd like to dig in a little bit more uh, on cybersecurity, which I think is a really broad word. It's like, compliance. Like it, it, it can mean so many different things, but I'm particularly interested in it as you related it to infrastructure, but also in the lost revenue bucket. There is, and you know, we're biased here because this is what we do, a, an epidemic really of payments fraud uh, schemes that are targeting governments. Um, there's a county above us, I'm up in Boston, in uh, Petersboro, New Hampshire, that had three in a row, a county of 6,000 that lost $2 million, um, all to payments fraud scams because people are, are getting tricked. So we think a lot about cybersecurity here, and I love that it's becoming an infrastructure issue. Are you see what sort of questions do you hear about that? What sort of trends are you seeing and what people might want to do with cybersecurity? So first of all, we, we, had a, we had a scam right before COVID hit in Arkansas where uh, someone was stealing images of checks and uh, signature image, image signatures of ch on checks and recreating the checks. I think it cost us about, or the cities and towns, I mean, the, you know, how insurance and banks work and all that sort of stuff. But I think it was about $1.8 million over the course of like six or seven weeks. Wow. Really freaked us out, right? I mean, as it should. And so we're very mindful of, making sure that, that cybersecurity is, is, is emphasized around the cities and towns of Arkansas because we've seen how it could negatively um, impact you. So what we what we say is an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, uh, probably a ton of cure in the cybersecurity world. So we're really pushing this a lot. So we had a training recently with the Vermont League of Cities on how to use rescue plan money for cybersecurity. A lot of the questions that we're getting are really, what do you mean by cybersecurity? What does that mean? Exactly. Right. So the way we look at it um, is a little bit of work, you know, buying a new computer with the right software, Windows 10, so it can support the right firewall or whatever it is, just some basic stuff doesn't have to cost your city or town a whole lot of money, but it's something, it's it's not a big investment to get, to get started, um, to... To, to really start the process of understanding how to, to better protect your city, uh, your city or town. And we, we push a lot of, we push a lot towards the cloud and try to understand or really demystify the, you know, the concern about the cloud and how dangerous it is that some people kind of are, are they had this view of it. Like, it's just, it's this ungodly thing that we can't really understand. And we say, look, the cloud is okay. Just understand it and get, get the right security and you can work off the cloud. So, 
I think right now for us, it's trying to get people to understand the importance of it, which is not hard to do, but understand that you don't need to spend a million dollars to to have some some level of cybersecurity. Uh, the other issue that we're coming across is how to insure insure for it. But cybersecurity insurance is is tough to come by and it's expensive, and they want cybersecurity insurance firms want to make sure that you're completely protected before they issue a policy. It's kind of our understanding. So we're 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 not starting at ground zero by any means, because I, I think you know North Little Rock. North Little Rock probably has a very robust cybersecurity system uh, and very good protections. Um, but it's those sort of smaller towns that don't think of themselves as risks that really become the risk. And there has been an outfit that took advantage of a lot of small towns recently. So I think it's getting us over that hurdle of understanding and, like I said, demystifying uh, cybersecurity is probably the number one goal for us. And that's it. And maybe because it's such a, a broad term, um, I I work next to that field and I still am like, does that count? Is that is that what that is? Right. And one of the things we've discovered um, as we talk to a lot of cities and towns is that you can buckle up your own cybersecurity, but that doesn't actually protect you if one of your vendors has a problem. And so understanding your insurance is definitely something we advise as well to make sure it covers in those sorts of instances where it might not be a compromise on your side, but it's a compromise on the side of someone you work with. So I love that you're focused on the cloud um, as part of that. Do you think, um, you know, crystal ball time, do you feel like this moment in time, and I'll, I'll let it go till 2026, because people have that much time to think about it, might end up on the cloud front, changing a lot of minds or being one of the legacies of this time that people invested in stuff that felt too pie in the sky? Yes, I think that, and for us, it starts with broadband expansion or broadband connectivity. Uh, we're, we're, a, we're a rural state, but a fairly large rural state. I mean, we're, not, we're not Texas by any means, but we're, we're fifth the size of Texas and Texas is really big. So we're, we're a fairly big state and we're very rural and broadband connectivity has been a real problem um, a real challenge for us because it's tough to get, you know, fiber up the side of a mountain, um, even if it's not that big around here. Um, and getting it across 30 miles of just open terrain is really hard, right? Um, so I think broadband and the governor, Governor Hutchinson, has done a remarkable job in focusing on broadband and cybersecurity because he understands how those two obviously are linked because, you know, you don't need cybersecurity if you don't have broadband, I guess. <laughs> but um, so I think that I think that is the legacy. I think that you know, while water and sewer projects are probably going to take up a big chunk of this money, and we desperately need better water and sewer infrastructure. I mean, again, you can't fight a pandemic without clean water going in and dirty water going out. But the the state's efforts already and the federal government's efforts already in broadband and this money to be used for broadband, the rescue plan money, I think that is going to be the legacy, or we hope that it is. I can tell you that's, that's we got a guy in here, two guys in here, Blake Gary and Jason Carter, who are dedicated almost solely to broadband and trying to understand how we can use this money for broadband. And when we start demystifying broadband, we start demystifying cybersecurity and understanding how the two things have to inter interrelate. I mean, have great broadband means you're opening yourself up to, I think, more cybersecurity risk. So I, th I do. I think that would that would be the big legacy. And, and what we talk about here, what I've said is that this I was very excited about this uh, rescue plan when it first came out. Very scared, too, by the way. When I saw that $440 million of direct funding was coming to the cities and towns, I thought they misplaced a comma because that's ungodly money, right? It's it's amazing amount of money. So it kind of got, got us worried, like, how do we do this? 
But then this next thought I had was this is an opportunity opportunity to to build a better Arkansas and a better better America. And we have to capitalize on it and we have to create these legacies. And whether it's just simply making sure our water and sewer systems are fully operational and, and well capitalized, that's a great legacy in and of itself. But to to make broadband a reality, to make connectivity across Arkansas a reality where we can compete with the rest of the world, that I agree, is going to be the legacy of this program, or we hope it will be. And all of those of us who really enjoy working from home hope it will be too. (laughs) (laughs) That might be one of the more uh, long-term legacies because you can't keep the remote workforce without the broadband, without a secure um, way of actually doing work. Yeah. It's true. I say that as I sit here in my Skype outfit, you know, dressed from the waist up in my shorts on the bottom. Um, uh, thank you so much. Just a couple last thoughts I, I'm curious about. Um, what is the number one thing you would want finance folks in government to know about the American Rescue Plan? That the uniform grant guidance applies. That's the number one thing. That there a lot now. A lot of cities, and I know you know North Little Rock, they already understand um, a guidance. So uh, a uniform grant guidance is the big thing to, to remember. A lot of big cities, North Little Rock, Little Rock, Conway, Rogers, they all fairly well understand, if not entirely understand, the uniform grant guidance. But again, this is a lot of money, a lot of direct federal funding, and the UGG rules apply to to all of it. And almost all of UGG applies to all of it, which means there's a lot of things to remember or keep in mind. Now, it's not to scare anybody. UGG is not too difficult. But it is something to keep in mind. Um, so what we're really trying to do is make sure folks understand that UGG really re- that UGG does apply. So that's the number one thing is to make sure that you that folks understand that UGG does apply to this federal money. And I just realized that the legacy from 2026 on will be all the hiring that the auditing <laughs> teams will have to do <laughs> to keep up with it. So um, you, you alluded to it a little bit, but what are the sorts of trends, particularly in the lost revenue bucket, are you seeing trends? It's funny you ask that. So I think that the trend is whatever whatever idea a city or town has to spend the money on, when we say it's not one of the eligible uses, we say, but if you calculate lost revenue, it is. So that's the trend is that it's, it, I think lost revenue is going to become a catch-all for a lot of things. And, and that's the other thing I, I need folks to, to keep in mind. Just because your sales tax numbers didn't drop the way you the way you would have expected does not mean you don't have lost revenue. Fed, the feds have given a lot of ways to calculate lost revenue. Again, back to the Little League example, a Little League tournament example. And there's a lot of things. So make sure to calculate your, your lost revenue because that's going to become that catch-all bucket. So if you call me and say, can I, can I buy a new tornado siren? I had this question the other day. I say, no, it's on eligible use. But if you have lost revenue... Use that money for use use that lost revenue money to buy the new tornado siren. So it, that's the trend. It's just going to become the catch all. And we will have a link to the resource you had about how to calculate lost revenue oh, as yes. well. Um, Please, in, thank you. In, in the podcast and in the blog, um, are there any other resource recommendations you have for listeners about understanding the American Rescue Plan? Yes. So. 
I will go to our, our website, but I think you're going to link that to our lost revenue calculator. Yeah. Uh, I got to give a, a plug to the Vermont League of Cities rescue plan. That That's a really great source. Uh, they got a lot of good FAQs on there. But really, the best one is Treasure's website. Uh, it's not terribly hard. To, terribly hard. It's very, very wordy. And if I might, the number one thing I, I tell everybody to start with this, and I don't have it in front of me, but on July 17th of this year, I think it's July 17th, Treasury issued their reporting guidance, um, their sort of preliminary reporting guidance. The first 17 pages of that report is the best summary of the rescue plan that, that exists right now. It's on the Treasury's website. If you want to spend an hour to understand this, this plan, that's where I would start is the rescue, the rescue plan reporting guidance from Treasury. Again, I think it was July 17th. Noted. We will find the link for that one as well. John, thank you so very much for your time and your thoughts and for educating our audience um, about the rescue plan in general, but particularly that lost revenue bucket and how that might be. And you know what? I should have you have you back in a couple of years and we can we can do some hunting for the most creative spend yeah. on, on what people did. And I'm so excited to see the legacy as well. You're right. It's a once in a lifetime thing. And uh, our kids are going to benefit from it um, for years to come. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. This you 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 mentioned something that kind of stirred me. Um, I do love this. I, I love working for cities and towns. I think the best government or the most representative government of people is local government because we fill your potholes, we pick up the trash. Uh, I think we're we're, we're a, a great source of uh, trust and uh, partnership with citizens every day. But this is this has become my life work. I will not have any more kids. I can't imagine. But if I do, I will name it ARPA after the American Rescue Plan Act. Um, <laughs> maybe a dog. Maybe a dog. So uh, this is great work, and I, I really enjoy it very, very much. And I really enjoy you listening to me or having me on and, and listening to what I had to say. So thank you very much. All right. A big thank you to John Wilkerson, and a big thank you to you, Angela, for a wonderful interview. Cheers. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I found uh, interesting is the amount or, or the different types of spending that these uh, counties, cities, municipalities can use their lost revenue for. And one of them being fighting payments fraud. Spoiler alert. It's payment works. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we might have, we might have had an ulterior motive in this interview, but it's true. The lost revenue bucket, incredible latitude and uh, everyone should be exploring it. And you have some time. So those are that's a good thing. You have some time to research where you want to go with it. Um, so maybe we should tie this in and do our favorite part, your favorite part, the part where I always look like a giant loser. Um, and whatever this vendor is, we should reach out to them and let them know what they can do with their ARPA funds. <laughs> that's true. All right. It's everyone's or at least my favorite part of the podcast. Yes, that vendor. And Angela, I've been throwing you some softballs here. Uh, this is this is this is one that I think you'll get. But here we go. Okay, I need it to be slow and lo loping right towards my bat. Let's go. Got it. American company, multinational corporation though. Founded in 1886, this is one of an old American company, now head, uh, now headquartered. Actually, I think they've been here for 
quite a while in New Jersey, New Brunswick, New Jersey. Okay. Uh, they develop medical devices, pharmaceuticals, and consumer packaged goods. 36th largest company in the U.S. Any guesses before I give you the final clue that may give it away? It's not much to work with. It's, so. it's not much. New Br- I mean, as soon as you said New Brunswick, I assumed it was manufacturing something tangible. And you said, yes, that's true. Yeah. But I, I don't know yet. No. All right. Well, their products include household names <gasps> like, like Band-Aid, Tylenol. That's all I'm going to give you. Procter & Gamble? <laughs> no. <laughs> nope. Uh, this is Johnson and Johnson. Let's try. How 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 annoyed are the marketing people at Johnson and Johnson right now that I just thought Procter and Gamble manufactured Tylenol and Band-Aids? Yeah, that's rough. That's rough. That's okay. You know what? I want to redo. Hold on. <clears throat> We're gonna do a clean take. Johnson and Johnson. That's correct. Awesome. You nailed it. Oh my gosh. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Wow. It's about time I got a softball. Thank you. You are welcome. <laughs> All right. We will see you next time with I'm very excited. I, I have three interviews in a row, and our next one coming up is in the world of risk and excited about it. Come back for that one. All right. See you later. Bye.